Welcome to Teeing Off on this Wednesday, July 19th, just hours before Tee Off at the Open Championship. I'm definitely going to get into that in a bit, but first a quick recap of the John Deere and some news and notes from elsewhere around the world of golf. Final round of the John Deere Classic at TPC Deer Run. Patrick Rogers started the day off with a two-shot lead and added some bombs on Sunday, making long birdie putts on the 13th and the 15th to give him the lead at 18 under par. And then, from kind of out of nowhere, comes Bryson DeChambeau, making a big move on the back nine, including a birdie on 17 that got him to 17 under and just one back of Rogers. And then on 18... His approach was all over the flag, rolling just past, setting up this putt. Yes! Got it! He got the speed right that time. And he goes to 18 under. Yep, he made the birdie putt, giving an emphatic fist pump type thing afterwards. He was pretty pumped. And he was in the clubhouse tied with Rogers at 18 under par. Rogers unfortunately bogeyed the par 5 17th and then needing a chip in on the last to force a playoff. Jordan Spieth style to John Deere. He just missed it. It was a really good effort. A good try. He couldn't get it to go. But a back 930 from DeChambeau gave him his first PGA Tour win. With the win, Bryson moves from 144th ranked in the world inside the top 100 to 81st and vaults him up to 34th in the FedEx Cup standings all the way from 114th. Patrick Rogers finished solo second. He moves up to 52nd in the FedEx Cup race and Wesley Bryan and Rick Lamb finished in a tie for third, two back at 16 under. I've made a few mentions of Bernhard Longer and Scott McCarron's controversy over long putters on the senior circuit this season. Well, the Seniors Players Championship was this past weekend, and guess who finished 1-2? McCarron and Longer. It was a rare blown lead for Longer late that allowed McCarron to capitalize and get the win, but sort of ironic that the two continue to do so well, lending even more credit to the theory of their putting styles being part of the reason why they're doing so well. But it doesn't seem that anything's budging on that, so moving on. The LPGA Tour has a new dress code for players both on and off the golf course, and it kicks into effect as of this week. So before I get into what the dress code is, the penalties for violating it will be $1,000 for the first offense and will double with each subsequent offense. So here are the full list of new dress code regulations. I'm actually going to bring in my girlfriend, Jess, for this one to get a female perspective. Hi. Hey. That's Jess. Okay, so here are the dress code regulations. Racer back with a mock irregular collar are allowed. Brackets no collar equals no racer back. So I have no idea what a racer back is. What's a racer back? So a racer back is like a tank top, ex- except instead of having the straps at the back go s- vertically, they go into sort of a, an X pattern at the back. So it sort of goes in. So would that be more covered or less covered than a normal tank top back? Um, it depends. It sounds like it'd be more covered. Well, it depends on the width of the strap. Okay. Yeah. Plunging necklines are not allowed. Okay. So no showing off the girls. 
leggings unless under a skirt or shorts are not allowed. So you can't just wear leggings. Uh-huh. Length of the skirt, skirt, and shorts must be long enough to not see your bottom area, even if covered by undershorts at any time, standing or bent over. Appropriate attire should be worn to pro-am parties, so the parties uh, that happen during the week for sponsors and whatnot. You should be dressing yourself to present a professional image. Other, unless otherwise told no, golf clothes are acceptable. Dressy jeans are allowed, but cutoffs or jeans with holes, not allowed. Workout gear and jeans, all colors, not allowed inside the ropes. Wait, I can't wear purple jeans, though? Not inside the ropes. <laughs> Outside the ropes. Horrible. And joggers are not allowed. Okay. So, what's the female opinion of this? Okay, first off, I don't know what it is about the language being used, but it sounds like a man wrote this that is like 50 years old and looked at a school dress code and just copied it. It literally looks like that. Like, if if I were to wear a, a racer back, I, I understand that if you were to wear that, that your bra strap show at the back. Um, so with the collar, <coughs> it sort of it widens the back, but like I don't know, it it it's just so specific in that way. It's weird. And the plunging necklines, that's so hard to do for girls that have big boobs. Like I don't have that problem. <laughs> Someone like with double D's or something, they could be wearing a turtleneck and there's still be cleavage. So like, who is enforcing this? I would like to know. Um, also, in pretty much every other sport, women are allowed to wear things that are considered relatively workout gear, like tennis or any of those. Like tennis is a pretty, I would say, like, um, I, I don't know the acceptable term, but I'm going to call it hoity-toity. Um, I don't know. I just feel like golf is trying to be uh, is trying to be marketable. So why are they reducing... Uh, jogging pants because we all know how marketable jogging pants are and the whole plunging neckline thing I think it would be great for golf if they allowed those two things well they did up until now so my to play devil's advocate so 99% agree with you to play devil's advocate men on the PGA Tour aren't allowed to wear shorts they're not allowed to wear anything except for I believe the term would be slacks not even khaki like they have to be nice like dress pants and like a collared shirt that has like a certain length of arm so the male restrictions are pretty like, pretty tight. They're not even allowed to wear shorts. So for girls to be wearing skirts or whatever, I guess you could say there's a bit of a parallel there. But it's completely different. Like, and the women have already been doing it. And like you said, in other sports like tennis, the women are wearing skorts or whatever it is and stuff like that. So I don't know. I th- it's sort of interesting that they would diminish their own the some of the appeal of their own sport to the non-fans. I don't know. It seems like you mentioned that the language is a little off. I think in that, it kind of seems like there's something they're not telling us. Like some of the players were getting upset because the prettier players were getting more attention, or there was the line that says, must be long enough to not see your bottom area. Like, has this been a problem that bottoms are being exposed? I don't know. I think there's just must be more to this story that we don't know, but it's a very strange press release. Yeah. I mean, the whole having to say must be long enough to not see your bottom area even if covered by undershorts I think that's such a strange thing to say like just say the length not necessarily like 
I, I don't know. It's just a, a strange distinction to say you're not allowed to see the butt because that's like a given. You're not going to go on TV and be like, hey, everyone, here's my butt. Like, it's diminishing, you know, like they're there to be professionals. They're going to present themselves as professionals. And um, yeah, this is just sort of in a way it's diminishing to think that people would do this like like the whole um, going on in um like like jeans like do girls go on in in full-on jeans like no men no no one would not inside the ropes but i guess you could wear like i guess they're saying when when they put all colors i guess maybe if you were to wear like black jean type pants maybe they look like the one thing i think is interesting sometimes you see guys on the pj tour if they hit their ball like just into the water they'll like take off their pants and their shirt and like just go into the water in their underwear what and hit shots like henrik stenson did that a few years ago oh yeah there's tons of guys that have done that oh my god so it would be interesting to see what happened if a woman got in that situation i can't imagine a woman just undressing but that that's a a different point because there's nothing to do with dress code but interesting in that situation i wonder if she would have to pay one thousand dollars or like fifty thousand dollars for every article all those offenses she's not wearing (laughs) Well, yeah. it seems like the only time the LPGA is making news these days is when it's negative things. Last week it was Trump. Before that, it was the thing with Lexi Thompson getting the penalty and losing the golf tournament. The only publicity they're getting lately is bad publicity. This thing kind of went a bit viral for all the wrong reasons today. Uh, a lot of people saying, yeah, the only reason I want to watch women's golf is you pretty girl. Like, that's obviously it's stupid, but... It is a factor, like, and even if women are the the women that are wanting to be noticed for their golf, not for their looks. I mean, if you want to be noticed, then play better, and you'll be on TV. I have no expertise in the world of golf, but it goes without saying that women are beautiful creatures, <laughs> and if you're going to get noticed as a woman, you have to work all of your assets. So be marketable. Work it. Work it. Work your talent in multiple ways, in every facet that you can. Yeah. Well, yeah, to a certain point, right? And then... Men, even like... Yeah, men do it too. But like women, I think you don't want women's golf to become like lingerie football league. Because golf is like a bit of a hoity-toity sport, as you put it. But at the same time, (laughs) it is a sport that's struggling to get viewers and stuff, so... I mean, I'm not going to lie, when I was younger, I loved, I was a, had a huge crush on Natalie Gulbis, and then I would watch women's golf to see, like, Natalie Gulbis and a few of the other girls. I don't know, I, now I don't really think of golf, women's golf in that sort of way at all, but there's a lot of guys that maybe would switch over if, uh, like, Paige Spiranak was playing. It's interesting, but uh, any any last thoughts? Um, well, I understand that... that um golf is a generally professional like i said hoity-toity sport and so it makes sense that they would have restrictive dress codes but it's i think what is the issue for me is more of the language and um how there's a lot of things uh that aren't allowed and it doesn't really say what is well it does say racerbacks those are allowed boom but you got gotta have that gotta have that collar all right well that was jess so thank you jess welcome you're so blessed this is game number 30 on the from usa tom layman 
Mark O'Meara. This is game number 33. On a tee from USA, Justin Leonard. Phil Mickelson. On a tee from USA, Bubba Watson. This is game number 39. On a tee from USA, Zach Johnson. On a tee from Spain, Rafael Cabrera Bayo. This is game number 41. On the tee from USA, Tiger Woods. On the tee from England, Lee Westwood. On the tee from Spain, Miguel Angel Jimenez. That right there is my favorite part of Open Week. The guy doing the announcement. On the tee from USA. Okay, maybe not my favorite, but I just love that accent. All right, a little story about Royal Birkdale, Arnold Palmer, and the British Open. Then I'll really dig in. Before 1960, very few top American players would make the transatlantic trip to play the Open. It was expensive, not very lucrative, there wasn't much notoriety. So there's essentially three main majors and the one in the Open. But in 1960, Arnold Palmer, the biggest name in the game at the time, won the Masters and the US Open and had his sights on, on winning all four majors. He wanted to complete the slam. So he made, he made the trip across to play in the Open at St. Andrews. He didn't win. He finished second to Australia in Cal Nagel by a shot. But he returned the following year at Royal Birkdale, and this time he did win. Then he successfully defended his title in 1962 and the next year at Troon. And the attention and notoriety that resulted from those championships was so much that other Americans began adding it to their schedules. Over 50 years later, it's unthinkable that a top American wouldn't make the flight over to Tita. So now that you've had your history lesson... On to more relevant things. This year's open track is Royal Birkdale. It's a 7,156-yard track, and it's another par 70. Considered by many to be the fairest of open championship venues, Royal Birkdale dates back to 1889, but didn't get its first hosting opportunity until 1954. To sum up the course, it is not long, and it only has two par fives, both being on the back nine, but both are in the final four holes, which will add some excitement. The setup off the tee is one that rarely, if at all, requires a driver, so that really brings everyone in the field into play. I mentioned it being a fair course, that's not just because of the length. A lot of opens will see guys hit nearly perfect shots that will end up getting a bad balance off of swales, kick off a mound, and it'll finish way offline in a bunker, in fescue, Whatever it may be. That's not really the case here. Wind can do that at any time, of course, but the course itself is pretty honest. The list of winners at Royal Birkdale includes Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, Johnny Miller, Tom Watson, Ian Baker Finch, Marco Mira, and Padraig Harrington, six World Golf Hall of Famers. One reason for the type of winner this course attracts is that it is rare to find two consecutive holes at Royal Birkdale that face in the same direction requiring players to deal with a variety of wind directions and shape shots always all over the course. You can't really get comfortable. You're always trying to change your ball flight. You're always trying to hit it low, high. Some holes are short, some holes are long. It's a really a thinking man's course, and it really keeps you, keeps you on your toes. While the fairways are fairly flat, they're also tight, and the dunes that line each hole can stand as high as 40 feet tall. So that may give spectators unobstructed views, but it makes it really tough for players to see where they're going if they stray off the fairway. In addition to those narrow fairways are a bunch of bunkers, over 120 total, and about 50 that are in play off the tee. Yet another reason not to hit driver. 
As for the field, world number one Dustin Johnson has been absent from a tournament weekend since May. He leads a roster expected to feature 73 of the top 75 on this week's official world golf rankings. Newly crowned U.S. Open champion Brooks Kepka, now 11th in the rankings, tees it up for the first time since his win at Aaron Hills. And with it being a major, just about every other big name in the golfing world is teeing it up this week as well. Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, Hideki Matsuyama, Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose. I could go on and on and on. Suffice to say, it's a top-notch field. Last year, Henrik Stenson outlasted Phil Mickelson in a memorable Sunday duel at Royal Troon, winning by three after posting just the second Sunday 63 to win in major championship history. Stenson carded 10 birdies to join Johnny Miller as the only major champions to shoot 63 on the final day and also set a new 72-hole major standard at 20 under par 264. Though Mickelson's closing 65 was two shots better than anyone else on the course, he still lost two shots to Stenson. At final tally, the Stenson-Mickelson pairing notched 14 birdies and an eagle, and their best ball score would have been 59. J.B. Holmes finished in a distant third, 11 shots behind Mickelson. It's only been a year, but the lore from that Sunday is already pacing to live on in open infamy for the rest of time. In case you need more motivation to watch this week, some more storylines. Despite DJ's six victories in the past 13 months, his past two outings have produced missed cuts at the U.S. Open and Memorial. He hasn't played the weekend at a major, in fact, since last year's Open at Royal Troon. John Rahm ranked 297th in the world as a newly minted pro a year ago, now stands number 8 after a 6-shot win at the Irish Open. He owns 7 top 5 finishes worldwide since January, including victory at the Farmers Insurance Open, and looks to capture his first major this weekend. Jordan Spieth, who just missed a playoff at St. Andrews two years ago, also brings some momentum after his dramatic bunker hole-out win at Hartford. Rory McIlroy arrives at Royal Birkdale in poor form, coming off missed cuts at both the Irish Open and Scottish Open the last two weeks. Defending champ Henrik Stenson has been hot and cold since spring, missing four cuts in his past 10 starts worldwide. Three others, though, have resulted in top 10s. And eight of the Open's past 10 champions were aged 35 or older. So that makes a guy like Steve Stricker very appetizing to me this week. Okay, some Open Championship-inspired news and notes. In Tuesday's practice round, Phil Mickelson surprised everyone a bit when he teed off without a driver in the bag. Considering he's played one major, the 2008 US Open, without a driver in his bag, and another, the 2006 Masters, with two, Phil's methods shouldn't really come as a surprise, but it would be a bold strategy. Instead of the driver, Mickelson went with a modified 3-iron, which is closer to a 2-iron loft. He also had a 3-iron in the bag with standard loft, as well as his normal 3-wood. According to Mickelson's caddy, his brother Tim, Phil has his driver with him and could add it to his bag depending on the conditions, but it's looking like Phil's going no driver this week. In a nod to a weakened exchange rate after Britain's vote to exit the European Union, better known as Brexit, this year's prize money will be paid out in American dollars for the first time. The winner will receive $1.8 million from a total purse of $10.25 million. TV coverage will start bright and early 
Well, kind of depends how you look at it. It'll actually be pretty dark here. So anyways, Thursday and Friday, cover starts at 1.30 a.m. and goes till 4 p.m. on the Golf Channel. That's a long day. Saturday, 4.30 to 7 a.m. on the Golf Channel, then 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. on NBC. And Sunday, 4 to 7 a.m. on the Golf Channel, and then 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. on NBC. Jordan Spieth believes the Open may just be the easiest major championship to win, but probably not for the reason you may think. Spieth thinks the draw almost always eliminates half the field, meaning that if a player is on the proper side of it and plays in the better conditions, he will only have to beat roughly 75 players to capture the Claret Jug. When I say draw, I don't mean the type of shot, I mean the tee times, where your tee time falls. I'm not saying it's easy based on competition or anything like that. I'm strictly saying that because a lot of the time, some of the field is thrown out and you're actually playing against a smaller field, your percentage goes up, Jordan said Tuesday at Royal Birkdale. Jim Bones Mackay gave some good insight into the course and who he likes this week during a Facebook Live video. Have a listen to part of it. He's not a sleeper because he's one of the best players in the world, but Mark Leachman is a guy that I think will definitely win an Open Championship before he's done. So I can see him uh, at some point he's going to light it up at this event. Now this this course I've I've, heard, I've been told uh, you don't have to hit driver on every hole. You can you can hit different shots. Do you think that that makes the the competitive playing field more even since it doesn't necessarily favor a long hitter? It does. It, I think it, it hurts the longer hitters because they lose some of their advantage. Of course, there's only two par fives. Um, but you know these guys are you know they're the best players in the world for a reason and they'll adapt and. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're playing well, you know, whether you're short or long, you're going to find a way to be there at the end. Where do you rank it in the rotation in terms of, like, your favorite courses to, that they play the Open at? I think it's it's a very high on that list. It's, uh, it, as, as you talked about earlier, it's very fair. It's, uh, you have to, it's a second-shot golf course, so it's going to be about iron play, you know, flighting your ball in the wind and making the occasional 20-footer. I, th I think it's a phenomenal golf course. You've caddied here. What do you think is the most difficult aspect of Royal Birkdale? We've talked about it being fair, but what's the most difficult part? Um, certainly there's an element of, of luck, you know, that, that comes with it in any golf tournament and, you know, you're going to get some poor bounces on occasion. You're going you're gonna to hit a shot into the green it's, and the wind's not going to knock down like you hope and it's going to go into a bunker and you just have to let those bounce off you as best you can and, and realize that that's going to happen to everybody over the course of the week and just keep on grinding. Who's your pick to win? Jordan Spieth. Weather. Weather is going to be a factor this week one way or the other. Jordan Spieth mentioned how it can wreak havoc on one half of the field and give the other half of the field an advantage, or the weather of the first two days could be pretty similar and no one gets a distinct advantage. That in itself is something, so either way, it's worth watching. Unfortunately, predicting weather more than a day out is really a fool's errand at the Open. The last reports I saw predicted Thursday and Sunday to be pretty good days, both partly cloudy with only 20% chance of rain, and temperatures in the high 50s, low 60s. Friday and Saturday, though, they appear to be the wild card days. Friday has a 70% chance of rain, Saturday an 80%. So if that holds, it really depends what time the rain drops. But in Thursday's round, it's going to be extra important to get off to a good start and hang on. Mounting a charge in windy, rainy conditions is never easy. The last time the Open was held at Royal Birkdale, the cut was plus 9. Yeah. If there does appear to be a favorable draw one way or another, those affected in the Thursday morning wave include Henrik Stenson, Jordan Spieth, Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Rose, and Justin Thomas. Those in the late wave Thursday and early wave Friday include Phil Mickelson, John Rahm, 
Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Ricky Fowler. For those who maybe like to risk a few shekels here and there, or take part in DraftKings and FanDuel, this is for you. Through mainly recent form, open history, and performance in the majors the last two years, but also a mixture of year-long and recent stats correlating to Royal Birkdale, my top 10 for this week are as follows. 10th, I'm going to work my way down. In 10th, I have Louis Oosthuizen. Louis' last three starts have ended in a 23rd, 18th, and a 2nd. He has not missed a cut this season and has finished in the top 25 in four of the last six majors. Mark Leishman. Mark also comes in playing well, finishing 5th, 17th, and 27th in his last three starts. He also has top fives in two of the last three opens and has not missed a cut in a major in the last two seasons. Brant Snedeker. Brant comes in with top 15th in his last two starts and two top 10s in majors since the beginning of 2016. He is 6th in the field in terms of recent form, according to my projections, and has performed well in the Open, a 22nd and 11th in recent starts. Just a note, while editing, Brant Snedeker withdrew from the event and he's being replaced by James Hahn, so disregard that. Paul Casey. Despite not having the best British Open history, Paul seems to be a sure bet this week. He is ranked 1st in my year-long stats correlating to this event, 5th, 26th, and 10th place finishes in his last three starts, and three top 10s in his last four majors. Up next, Steve Stricker. As I mentioned earlier, age seems to be a benefit at the Open Championship. Tom Watson almost won a couple years ago, same with Greg Norman. Almost every year, there's at least one older guy up on the board. Now, Steve isn't that old, but at 50, he's not young either. Strick hasn't played a ton this year, but he's playing well. 5th and 16th in his last two starts, he has he has top 16s in three of the last four majors, sits 5th in the field in my recent form category, and finished 4th in the Open last year. Now for the top five. In 5th, I have Jordan Spieth. With a win in his last event and three top 15s in his last four starts, Jordan looks ready for another major win. His worst finish at the Open in the last four years, that's worst finish, is 36th. His worst finish in a major since the beginning of last year, 37th. He loves big tournaments and comes in playing well with good correlating stats to boot. Fourth, I have Sergio Garcia. Masters champ Sergio is another guy that hasn't missed a cut this season. Pretty much every number around him this week is good. Recent starts, 2nd, 21st, and 12th. Recent open finishes, 5th, 6th, 2nd, 21st. Recent major finishes, 21st, 1st. 5th, 5th, 34th. Don't really need to say much more than that. Third, I have Matt Kuchar. Kuch hasn't really had a breakout major moment yet, but he's getting close and doesn't seem like he's had a better shot to win than this week. Two fourths and a 16th in his last three starts, two of those being majors. Matt is a top 10, top 20 machine. He may not win this week, but I definitely expect to see him around the top of the leaderboard. My second favorite player this week is Ricky Fowler. As the consensus best player without a major, yeah, that title did not take long to find a new suitor after Sergio shed it. Ricky is a popular pick this week, but for good reason. Ninth, third, and fifth in his last three events. Top 10 in nearly every relevant stat category this week, and good history in both recent majors and in the open. And my top pick this week is Hideki Matsuyama. Also a guy that is yet to win a major, 
But the last seven majors have been won by first-timers. Hideki is first in my recent form category by the stats and third in season-long correlating stats. He finished 14th and second in his last two starts, two top 20s in his last four opens, and has finished in the top 11 in majors four times since last year's Masters. There's been six majors since last year's Masters. He's finished in the top 11 four times without winning. Now, guys, I don't like this week. You may have noticed there are quite a few big names not on the list. Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, John Rahm. I have my reasons for each, mostly having to do with recent finishes in tour events and majors. But again, these are just predictions. I'm guaranteed to get some wrong. Hopefully, I'll get some right, too. As for a winning score, the first seven opens at Royal Birkdale were won with subpar scores, but no one has finished under par in the past two trips. No one. Marco Mira shot even par in 1998, while Padraig Harrington's 3 over 283 was good for a four-shot win in 2008. So he was 3 over. Second place was plus 7. Winds gusted up to 50 miles per hour that week. So that being said, I'm purely speculating when I say that the winning score will be minus 4 and the cut will be plus 5. But if the wind is up and the weather gets nasty, all bets are off. Speaking of bets... Those looking to place some wagers, here are a few of the odds listed. In terms of winning, at 12 to 1, Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth, at 15 to 1, John Rahm, Sergio Garcia, and Ricky Fowler, and at 20 to 1, Hideki Matsuyama, Rory McIlroy, Justin Rose, and Tommy Fleetwood. Some other lines that I personally like: Brant Snedeker is 142 to 1, Steve Stricker is 87 to 1, Matt Kuchar pays 15 to 1 for a top five finish. And some more pessimistic bets. If you think Rory's going to miss the cut, which he's done his last two weeks, you can get that at 3.25 to 1. And Jason Day, same thing. For him to miss the cut, 3.8 to 1. So those are just a few options out there. Of course, know your limit and play within it. Okay, that is it for another week of teeing off. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the British Open, Open Championship, whatever it is that you call it. Thanks for listening. Come on back next Wednesday for another episode with me, RJ McCullough.